Hi, this is Sergeant Betsy Branner-Smith with the National Police Association, and this is the 100th episode of the NPA Report. I have a couple of gentlemen that I have been wanting for you to meet uh, for quite some time. I uh, got to meet uh, the deputy chief that you're about to meet at a training conference, and he had such a compelling story about being a mentor, because we talk so much about community policing these days and why we need more community policing. And quite frankly, community policing, the essence of it is one cop and one person at a time. And that's the story that you're about to hear. Deputy Chief Brian Nugent and Ramil Patamber, welcome to the program. All right, thanks for having us. So Brian, let's start with you. Um, but, you know, first of all, why'd you become a cop? And then how did you meet Ramil? Well, I tell you what, it's a good question because uh, it's one of those questions you ask officers a lot, and some of them have a very, uh, you know, stabilized uh, background in this, right? You have a lot of cops sometimes that talk about their dads having been in the profession, their grandfathers having been in the profession, and I'm a first-generation officer. So uh, for me, it was, it was truly the fact that I had had individuals that lived in my small town in southern Indiana uh, that I had positive engagements with, I, I had positive interactions with, and I just really admired how they interacted with people, how they treated people. And that's really what kind of led me to the profession. And so uh, when I graduated high school, I went back to that police agency through an internship. And once I graduated college, uh, I really got some of my professional experience with that department. And that eventually led me to, to being a part of the Avon Indiana Police Department, uh, where I'm currently at today in the role of the Deputy Chief of Investigations here in Avon. And so the, my path that took me uh, to my position that I'm in now uh, did, did involve me being involved in several different types of investigations. Uh, I was an investigator more from a general crimes perspective. Uh, we're a smaller agency, so we don't necessarily have a section where you're a persons against, or crimes against persons or crimes against property, anything like that. So we had anything that came across uh, our office in our town. And so it, uh, it was a case that I'd worked uh, back in 2013. Uh, I had responded to an incident on a robbery. Uh, we were successful in clearing that case itself, uh, made a couple of arrests, and one of those individuals uh, that was involved in that case was Mr. Patamber here uh, with us today. And so uh, our story was a, a very unique one. We're very thankful for the opportunity to, to share the story because, Betsy, I'm convinced that for every story like this that we talk about, there are so many similar stories that may never get that attention to officers that are really reaching out to their community, making those communications, making those efforts, making those mentor-mentee sort of uh, paradigms exist, and, and truly improving their communities behind the scenes. And we don't always hear about that. And so that, that's how I got to meet uh, Mr. Patamber. Uh, Ramil and I are actually good friends. Uh, we stay in communication. We visit. We do things together. And so it's, it's really been a unique situation. So, Ramil, talk about uh, how you met this cop. <laughs> um, well, like you said, uh, our, uh, he was investigating my case, and our first interaction was he was serving a, a, a arrest warrant. And I met him in the interrogation room. And then as life proceeded, I ended up running, him, running into him again at the Goodwill while he was dropping off clothes. And he didn't recognize me at first and I recognized him and I just stopped and stared at him for a minute. And I said, hey, are you Brian, Detective Brian? Uh, by then he had got promoted and uh, moved up in the ranks and all that. He was like, yeah. Uh, I was like, hey, it's Ramil. 
and I we just embraced and hugged actually as old friends. And then from that moment on, uh, we went out to eat and I asked him and and this is where we've been at today. Like you said, constant communication. Uh, we hang out, uh, we talk, we we stay in constant communication as a mentor and mentee. So Brian, uh, most of us would not uh, run into a guy that uh, we had investigated <laughs> and give him a big hug and take him out to eat. So yeah. talk about uh, talk about what you were thinking there and and uh, and go from there. You know, it really a lot of it comes back to what had happened several years before when we were in that interview room. Uh, just to give a little bit of context of the of the case facts that were involved was at the time, Ramil was a juvenile. And at the time that this incident taken, had taken place, uh, the other individual involved with this, he was the adult who had convinced Ramil to go in and do something terrible, uh, to make a, a huge life-changing mistake. And I just always kind of felt that Ramil was in that position that a lot of young kids are, that they are so impressionable that they can be led in particular forms and fashions and be led to a place that they would have never otherwise had been inclined to do or to find themselves in those terrible situations. And so the moment that I saw Ramil at Goodwill, uh, I actually had my oldest daughter with me at the time. And, uh, you know, we were just dropping some things off after church. And whenever he actually introduced himself as Ramil, it just immediately clicked. Uh, for me, it was the moment where I realized that even though we had to make an arrest in this case, even though he had sustained a, uh, a criminal arrest on his background now and in his criminal history, uh, it just really stuck with me because I remember being in that interview, with, interview room with Ramil. And my biggest memory uh, was that this was a young man that had taken responsibility for everything that he did. Um, in my experience, I think most officers experience, that's not commonplace, right? We don't necessarily deal, we have a hard time dealing with adults and politicians that take full responsibility for what they do. Uh, we have a hard time taking responsibility at times for our own actions. And so for me to sit in a room and meet a young man who was, was really struggling with some things in, in his life, uh, that really opened up my heart and my mind. So when I saw him at Goodwill, I, I, I'll agree with you, Betsy, that was a, a, a little bit less than a normal interaction for myself. But I was just really taken back by this young man. He really, really showed me his character, despite, you know, one particular incident that I know he wishes he would have, he could take back and have never done again. Uh, but for me, I felt like the worst thing I can do at that time was to reject that. You know, I felt like the worst thing that I could have possibly have done is just say, yeah, I don't really have time or I'm not really interested, you know, good luck to you and walk away. Um, and I have to say it happened so organically. I didn't have any idea he was working that day. Uh, I didn't even know he was actually working anywhere in Avon. Uh, I was aware that he was probably out by that time, um, uh, out of Indiana Department of Corrections, but it was just a remarkable circumstance. And for me to have that, I just felt what an opportunity to, to offer, you know, to, to, to show this young man that there's other things that we can do besides that interview that day and that interrogation. So, Ramil, how did you grow up perceiving the police? So, to, I was taught to hate the police. Um, was taught to not trust them. Um, honestly, I don't know if I ever heard anything good about the police until I met Brian and then um, met the... Growing up, uh, the police were not welcome. They were not friendly. It was they were the enemy, and they were out to get me and people of uh, that look like me. So, what led you to um, to to take responsibility? I mean, you were a kid when this happened. You were a juvenile. 
And uh, what led you to take responsibility and decide you were going to take a different path despite having gone to prison? Right. Um, that's a two-part question. Um, that moment, uh, I actually did not decide to take a different path. In that moment, I did not decide to change my life. Um, I was raised by uh, one of my, somebody that raised me was my grandfather, and he ingrained it in us to take responsibility, to hold yourself accountable uh, in anything you do. And in that moment, I was going through tremendous turmoil. And we're sitting in the interrogation room, and my mother is crying, and she keeps telling them, I didn't do it. And she's just, she's bawling. And I'm hoping that they'll believe her. <laughs> Maybe they'll think I didn't do it. And it gets to a point where they show me the evidence and she's just crying. I just look at her, take responsibility and say, I did do this. I did do this. This was my part in this. And we move forward with that. When I, when I decided to change my, uh, my, the trajectory of my life, I was actually in um, 24 hour holding cell. And again, uh, they brought me the phone and my, I called my mom. And she said, baby, you're not coming home. And she said, but we're going to get through this and we're going to pray. And in that moment, I decided that this is going to be a learning factor and that I would never be who I was that brought me there. And from that moment on, I just made decision after decision after decision to better myself in decisions that were conducive to my goals. So both of you have mentioned, uh, Brian, you mentioned church, Ramil, you mentioned prayer. Um, I want each of you to tell me how important faith is to each of you as individual men, and then what your thoughts are on, do you believe God brought you together? So Brian, start with you. Yeah, you know, um, in our profession, in law enforcement, I, I think sometimes we struggle with the fact that we're not allowed to allow our personal faith uh, kind of brush against our professional expectations, right? Um, for me, like, like every man and woman, I, in my opinion, that is, uh, my faith is a journey. You know, my faith as a child was challenged. Uh, I grew up in a church that I've had a lot of, I guess you'd call it philosophical differences too, right? Uh, my parents were divorced when I was a kiddo, and my church had some some rules and some ideologies that I really struggled with as a young kid. And so I really learned uh, the best way for me to avoid that stress was to disassociate myself from faith. And so as I became an officer here in Avon, as I became married and had children, uh, it became more and more important to me. And so I'm thankful to have a, a church here in town that I've been a part of uh, here in Avon that I've really found myself volunteering through. And sometimes it's it's almost it's almost like the dragnet, right? Sometimes you, you find yourself doing things for a church and you start questioning yourself, like, am I getting anything spiritually out of this group, right? Or am I just coming in here to facilitate a job to come in and come out? And so very early on, uh, it really hit me hard that my faith, I had a long way to come with my faith. You know, I, I was ignorant to a lot of the, the scripture. I was ignorant to a lot of the, uh, the details of, of what it meant to have a good relationship uh, with God and have a strong faith. And so for me, I've been working on that for years. And, and again, I, can, I continue to do that to this day and trying to, to, to affirm my faith and, 
and doing things to make myself a better dad, to be a better husband, to be a better officer, a better coworker, a better brother, a family member, whatever that may be. And for me, this event really helped solidify that for me. You know, I look back and I think to myself, what were the chances that on this one particular day that Ramil was working and I was dropping off some stuff? You know, I think about what's the chances are that it was on that particular shift? What are the chances are that the rotation of people coming out to your vehicle and you dropping things off happened to be of that, that, that magnitude? You know, he could have gotten the job pretty much anywhere across the state of Indiana. He could have walked away from that, but something led him to stay here. Something led me to be there at that date and at that time. And I'd be honest with you, Betsy, I, I think I would have been God's fool if I had not uh, embraced this opportunity. And God obviously gave him the confidence and the ability to come forward to me and, and help me remember who he was. And so for me, this just, it just cemented every concern, every hesitation. Uh, and so it's been a big part of my journey in my faith to know that I had dealt with somebody earlier in my life who had formulated some form of an opinion of me. And then years later, under no other circumstance more explainable than that of our faith, brings us together. And we've had such a good relationship since then. And then the silver lining is just the number of people that have helped Ramil and I tell our story. And, and Ramil's always said this, uh, the idea between sharing our story is just giving other people the sense of hope that there are other family members that have experienced similar situations, other communities and police officers that may be struggling. Um, we don't have everything figured out. This is just our story. And my faith has been a big part of that. Ramil, how about you? What's faith meant to you with this? I've had a rocky journey with faith. As a kid, I was being sexually abused and physically abused. And more times than not, I would pour my heart out to God. And um, right around the time when I had uh, caught this case, actually, I had lost my faith. I had given up on God. I had given up on his faith. And I had started to hate him which means I hated myself. But as he said, there's always a silver lining. And um, there were people praying for me, my grandmother, my mother. And um, I came back and faith has been that guiding force, that um, intuition, that inclination that gets me where I need to go and keeps me out of places I don't need to be at. As Brian said, um, I agree with everything that Brian said, and I never really put it into perspective um, with what he just said, how I could have worked anywhere. And on that day and in that moment, we've reconnected. Um, faith is a, a major part because, like they say, it lets you uh, see where you're going without going there first. Let you believe that life is better. And um, that optimism and that um, walking one foot in front of the other, I would be nowhere without that. And uh, it really just dawned on me that he, he's right. I, I could have been anywhere working. And that moment, that instant, that's almost like math. <laughs> one plus one is two. And uh, faith is a big deal. And like the, it's a, it's a struggle. I'll be transparent with you, but it's a struggle that I continue to struggle with. Yeah, don't we all, quite frankly. <laughs> so guys, 
after you know so Ramil, you get this free uh you get a free meal out of this guy and uh and uh but then you guys become famous i mean you get national attention in fact what i want to do here is just show people just um a, a few seconds of uh of the national fame that you achieve an unexpected bond is building in Avon, Indiana. Looking good. Between 23-year-old Ramil Patamber, who's rebuilding his life after prison, and Brian Nugent, the deputy police chief here. It's a lot I'm trying to learn and unlearn. I need a mentor who can get me to where I want to be, who can teach me what I need to know, and he answered all that. Was the fact that he was a police officer a plus? Yes. My goal was to not go back to prison. But I didn't 100% know what to do to not go back to prison. And I knew that he knew that. Like, he's the expert in what to do not to go back to prison. Six and a half years ago, Ramil was a 17-year-old honor student struggling with the death of his father. So, gentlemen, here you are, you know, getting this national news attention. Um, and then where do things go from there? Yeah, you know, it was really, it's really unprecedented, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, we had shared our story here in the Indianapolis area. Uh, somebody had, had obviously taken great note of that. Uh, when we got a phone call from, from CBS News uh, stating that they want to do this story, you know, we've always been very mindful that this story, as rich as it can be in a lot of different angles, um, it, it was a story that truly can, can impact Ramil uh, to a point where, you know, this is a, a comfort zone question, right? Is this out of your comfort zone? And so we really started getting hammered with a lot of phone calls. Um, I got a lot of emails here at the police department. I got messages through social media talking about this story. And so uh, one of the most profound messages that we got uh, came out of Baton Rouge. And so Baton Rouge actually presented a, a program called Recast. And so Recast was a federally funded initiative uh, to generate revenue, I'm not, not to generate revenue, but to actually take revenue and invest in communities that have been really hard hit by very traumatic situations. Uh, Baton Rouge had suffered a, a series of events. Obviously, they had a hurricane that came through, uh, but they had also had the police action involved incident with Alton Sterling. And so there was a great deal of emotion uh, in Baton Rouge. There was actually what appeared to be more of a retribution uh, killing of some police officers in that area as well, some Baton Rouge officers that were, were uh, killed in the line of duty. So we actually got a phone call from the program director and asked us, hey, I saw this story while I was in New York. I turned on the TV. I saw it on CBS News. Would you guys be interested in letting us fly you down to Baton Rouge and speaking uh, at this summit? And so, uh, again, it was a call to Ramil. Hey, what do you think? You feel comfort with it? Uh, Ramil's response was, heck yeah, I'm down. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they actually paid for all the expenses to go down and to share his story. And so, you know, we prepared for a couple of weeks here at my church uh, and what that would look like as far as public speaking. Uh, you know, did a great job in preparation, uh, but it was just a remarkable opportunity to go down. And we met and Ramil took pictures with the police chief and with the mayor and people just wanted to, to learn more about his story. And I think it really did interject an opportunity for people to say that not all cops are bad, right? Not all um, people that have been in his position are, are destined to do it again, that you can heal from these injuries. And you do that through community policing. That's exactly what needed to happen in Baton Rouge. Uh, we were just very honored to have that opportunity. And then since then, we've been inundated with calls to speak uh, you know, at Citizen Police Academies, uh, to speak to some smaller groups here and there. Uh, Central Indiana uh, has a lot of opportunities like that. We've spoken to a couple uh, summer camps with Indiana State Police. 
Uh, we spoke to some juveniles that were currently incarcerated for incidents here in Indiana as well. And I just, I can't say enough about how much the passion there is for Ramil to spread his story of hope. And so it's really taken off um, in the term, in the sense of all of that, but then COVID brought it down to a, 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 a halt to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are on Zoom. Thank you, COVID. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So Ramil, we only have about a minute left, but I, I just want to ask you, um, do you ever get any pushback from any family members or friends who say, what are you doing? What are you doing propping up law enforcement? You know, what are you doing traveling around with this cop? Yes, uh, not from family, not from close friends, but yes. Uh, most pushback, as you can probably expect, comes on social media. And um, they would compliment me. And a lot of times it's from uh, people of color um, and they would compliment me and in that same breath, tear down Brian specifically or say, uh, it's great what you're doing, but how are you doing it with law enforcement or how are you doing it with the police? And uh, he just, he taught me just ignore it, just ignore it, um, ignore the negativity. It's more positive that you get out of it. But yes, it's, um, I have gotten pushed back and it's, it's, at first it was hard and it was confusing. Uh, but the biggest thing is, is just to ignore it because the, the positive message is more impactful. That, that's incredibly well said. Brian, where can, uh, where can people get in touch with you? People can get a hold of us uh, through our social media, but I would ask most people kind of look for us at our website. So you can go to www.avongov.org. Uh, you can find my contact information there, a little bit more information about what we're talking about today with community policing and obviously with Ramil's story here. Brian and Ramil, I cannot thank you enough for spending time with us today and being our 100th episode. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Ma'am, put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.